Hello, and welcome to another episode of Determination, Deliberation, and Dragons. My name is Peter, I use they-them pronouns, and I am so excited to share with you all our first author interview of Season 2. Caitlin Applewhite is the author of Chronicles of Aragarth and the upcoming White Crow series. Izzy and I read the first chapter of the first book in the series, called Awakening Anne. While neither Izzy nor myself tend to gravitate towards books about the paranormal, we really enjoyed what we've read so far. Kaylin has a really engaging writing style, and we had a lot of fun talking with her about her inspiration for this story, some of the research she's done, and what keeps her going as a writer. You can find links to her social media and books in the episode description down below. I hope that you enjoy this interview. Kaylin Applewhite. I'm the indie author of Chronicles of Aragarth, which is currently available on Amazon and the upcoming White Crow series. The first book, Awakening Anne, is coming out on April 4th for a pre-release on Kickstarter and then will be on Amazon later this fall. Wonderful. So we will ask you about your book, but first we just want to have our usual introduction questions. So can you just tell us what your favorite story is? And they can be a book, a movie, a show, a poem, like whatever media you want it to be. Um, well, that's a really big question for a lover of stories. Um, you mentioned film, I have to say, um, immediately coming to mind, um, the original trilogy of Star Wars, just iconic story structure there, as well as, um, Avatar Last Airbender. Um, I think that's one of the best epic fantasy arcs I've ever seen when it comes to, you know, character development and having a Fire Lord epic villain. So often those fall flat, but in that series, it was very impressive all the way to the end. Um, As far as books go, um, the Court of Thorns and Roses series by Sarah J. Moss, very popular right now. I was big fan. We're all waiting for the next release on that. Um, recently I read Honey and Spice by Bolu Babalola, I think is how her name is pronounced. Um, it was, it was excellent. Um, I've also recently discovered, uh, Marissa Mayer and she does excellent, uh, fairy tale retellings. And so I've been going through her body of work recently and enjoying that immensely. Wonderful. I'll have to look into your, the books, but I mean, we love Star Wars and Avatar here, so wonderful answers. We approve. And then the last intro question, if you happen to meet a dragon, um, how would you how would you train it? Well, this is a matter I think I've given a good deal of thought to. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the dragonology books. Yeah, so I had all of those as a child and stumbling upon a dragon that I then got to tame was you know, the dream um, for the better first half of my life. Um, so 
To me, it would depend on the intelligence level of the dragon. I mean, there's such a range in fiction from, you know, animalistic all the way into like Dungeons and Dragons where they're, you know, above human intelligence. But I suppose um, just slowly gaining its trust, you know, becoming kindred spirits, you know, eventually best friends, and then eventually, you know, writing it would be, you know, obvious. Perfect. That is a well thought out answer. So now we want to hear a little bit more about your book. So we had the pleasure of reading the first chapter of your upcoming book. Can you just tell us a little bit more about your book? Like give us a a summary. Okay. (laughs) Um, So the first book of the White Crow series, Awakening Anne, um, is the whole series centers around uh, Margaret Ward, who um, is a medium. So she can contact spirits from the beyond through seances. Um, The whole series is set in the World War One, early 1900s era, which I think is less done when it comes to historical fiction. Um, So it's near the tail end of the spiritualism craze. I focus on themes of uh, romance um, and horror, but mostly on her journey of self-discovery. In the first book, she's just coming to grips with who she is and what she's capable of um, and growing in her confidence which I, I think is a really powerful message that's done often, but, you know, is very powerful. Yeah, I mean, we could definitely see that. It was really interesting just seeing the time period of this book. And I agree, I don't think I've seen many books like set in that time. So it's really interesting that you chose that. I think I also wanted to ask, what influenced you to write this particular story? Well, the first time, like the first iteration of it, um, I wrote probably 10 years ago. Um, And instead of being a five book series, it was one singular standalone book. Um, I I really enjoyed the aesthetic of Titanic. um, And I think that people are going to be able to see a lot of direct translation between Maggie and Rose, the main protagonist in Titanic. Um, but I also, I, I like horror as a genre, you know, um, specifically, you know, the idea of something spooky that you can't, you know, uh, blow up or, you know, really even run away from because you can't see it, you know, um, and then someone who does have power over the unseen, which I thought was, um, not very done. You see witches a lot, you know, um, but you don't see, like spirits and mediums done so much. Um, so I thought it was a fresh take on a a character that's usually someone on the sidelines of a story and bringing them to the forefront. Yeah, I can think of a lot of like mediums that just pop up here and there as like a side character. Oh, they're in like one episode of a show or in one chapter and they like move the story along, but they aren't the focus of the story. So it's really interesting that you're you're kind of shifting that. One of my big inspirations um, as I was doing research, because you have to do a lot of research when you're doing historical fiction, even if it's kind of quasi-historical. <laughs> um, and the American Society for Psychical Research was a is a real um, part of our own government. 
um, that was funded for the research into the supernatural and the paranormal. Um, I think one of the most interesting um, parts of the um, like 1910s, you know, that era is there was such a vague line between what was science and what was science fiction. We were discovering, you know, like vaccinations and um, all these things that we thought were mythical creatures. We were finding out they were real. And so the idea that we could use science to find ghosts really wasn't that crazy to people considering everything else science was discovering. And so having that kind of blurred line between wait, what is real science? You know, um, the uh, scientist whose name escapes me now, who's considered the father of modern psychology, was a member of this institution and did really think that, you know, spirits could be contacted. And so I, I found that very interesting um, as an angle. Historical fiction isn't something I have a whole lot of experience with reading because it's more of a like pseudo fantastical historical setting where it's just like this is the Roman Empire again but not mm-hmm. but your setting is very unique in that I don't see this time period very often and I was wondering like how do you get into the world building of this and like the research process or the things that you just have to guess at um so I I often find my works are set in you know the real world but you know, and so this would be, um, it's set in New York City, and the first book, I think, is in 1916, but ghosts are actually real, um, and they were right about that. Um, I do not stick too rigidly to the research. I know a lot of people who write historical fiction are fastidious researchers and get every detail right, and um, and I try, you know, um, as I'm writing, if I'm like, writing oh and then she stepped into the kitchen wait do they have refrigerators and then there's you know like 15 minutes of googling and and then oh okay yeah so icebox great moving on um but i i don't slave over historical detail um because i don't consider myself a historical fiction writer i'm here to write um romance and horror you know um and those are the elements of my story that i feel matter the most. I would say probably my greatest tool when I'm writing in a certain time period to get the feeling of it is watching um, like television set in that time period. So I watched a lot of Downton Abbey. I watched um, Titanic and I, and I look in the background and I'm looking at what they're wearing and the way they're speaking, you know, and that sort of like full immersion I feel is just as good as doing like you know google research yeah no that makes a lot of sense i know like with my own writing if i ever am getting stuck i just think of like a a tv or movie scene that like has that same emotion so i don't do it necessarily with like the historical setting but I, i can see how that would translate that's that's really interesting one of my questions was about ghosts and just the um little glimpse that we get in the first chapter of them uh maggie the main character contacting a ghost for this young boy made me think of how ghost stories and like paranormal stories in particular really have this certain angle of like trying to explain the unexplainable even now in our modern era there's so much that we just don't can never have answers to like what's after death where do the people go and um 
I guess I was wondering how also the horror elements kind of play into your sort of working through if that is something that you're trying to work through like grief and maybe mortality and just the crazy unexplainableness and like monstrosities that horror deals with as well like if any of that is stuff that you are thinking about in the process Okay, that's a lot of questions. Sorry. I'll try to hit all of them. Um, I would say that grief and death and after death um, are themes that will be explored throughout the entire series, most definitely. Um, as far as explaining the unexplainable, I do not attempt to do that. I, however, will introduce the unexplainable and say, wow, look at that. That's unexplainable. Um, there... I would say that there is more of a sci-fi angle than a fantasy angle to this series. So there will be scientific explanations every now and again, but they're usually posed as theories um, more than facts. Um, I would say that uh, the work of H.P. Lovecraft and that um, kind of body of work um, is a big inspiration in this series and um, as the series goes on, the um, Cthulian aspects, I believe, will become more prominent. Um, and with that, the ineffable nature of the universe, you know, will become a greater theme. There's this one detail that I thought really stood out that was really interesting, where um, Maggie was talking about I guess the dial that like shows whether or not the ghost is there and how her brother like had installed it. So like he knows how it's, it's not really showing paranormal activity, but she's also saying there is some stuff like part of it is spectacle and part of it, like she truly can't explain. And I love how there's this dynamic of she's, she's putting on a show somewhat and yet there is something bigger or different out there that I thought was uh you you wrote about it in a very interesting way thank you um I I'm harking to the gimmicks that people who did seances would really do um when she goes into her trances her pulse really does go away um you know that's a response that her body has but um in reality when seances were done they would have a rubber ball in the armpit and squeeze that to cut off the pulse to the arm you know, they had these ingenious tricks. Um, and so her ability to move the little arrow on the table to answer those yes or no questions is something I did make up. No, no one had ever done that, but it was inspired by the sort of tricks they would have. And I would say that um, this is a tool of her own insecurity. It's like her training wheels, you know, just in case I'm not able to do this properly, I have this thing that I can do. So I'm not just sitting there with people, you know, looking at me. Um, and throughout the series, she grows in confidence, you know, of her abilities. But um, I think in this first chapter, it's nice to see that this is where she starts, especially I'm I'm now writing the third book. And it's, it's silly to me that she's using this thing <laughs> um, now where she is. I guess one thing I'm curious about, too, with Maggie is, I mean, since we've only read the first chapter, we really don't know a lot about her at this point. But I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how she got into this, like how what made her decide that she wanted to do this and have a little office? 
Okay. Um, so how she got into the paranormal. Um, so in my research, um, if you go to the ASPR website, which you really can do, they um, have you fill out a questionnaire if you think you may or may not have uh, paranormal psychical abilities. Um, and one theme that they touched on very much was having a near-death experience. And so I was like, that, that you know, I was like, huh, well, that's interesting. And so Maggie herself doesn't know this until later in the work, but she did have a near-death experience as a child. Um, she fell from a tree and had um, a grand mal seizure, and they thought she might not survive, um, which she did, obviously. <laughs> but ever since then, she's wondered if, you know, she might have some sort of um, extra, you know, ability, you know, um, something that only became clear to her as she explored it, as she grew up. Um, and she found that um, she has a passion for helping people. Um, and she's found that she can help people who are grieving, you know, to help them to move on through that grief. You know, because um, so often there are things left unsaid, you know, when someone passes away, especially suddenly. Um, and so so that's a passion that she's now chasing now that she has, you know, the confidence to do so. Yeah. And it was really nice seeing her because she she kind of goes through her thought process after the the couple leaves, too. And she was she kind of explained like she enjoyed helping them get through or start to get through this grieving process. They had lost their son. And I think that, I mean, you're talking about showing these characters center stage. I also don't think I've seen any medium type characters being or seeming as compassionate as she seems in this first chapter. And I, I thought that was really interesting and I'm I'm curious to see where where she goes from here. I see her almost as a um heroic therapist. <laughs> um is the kind of vibe I think she gives off especially in the first book. Yeah, for sure. A, a therapist who's a little bit more exciting and isn't just sitting there and calmly asking you what's going on, for sure. Putting little notes in her notebook. <laughs> Absolutely. And that does make me think it must be a really big emotional burden for her. I mean, as any kind of therapy or grief involved profession would be. Um, and we just get a snippet of her um, doing her daily job with this one appointment in the first chapter. But I imagine it would be pretty hard. That would wear her down in the later books or... I I think that Maggie is an incredibly strong-willed and just... Um strong person you know like internally you know um she she can take a lot of other people's pain you know um and I think that that's a great strength of hers and makes her work possible um and in the later books that is something that I touch on it her taking that too far um I'm curious kind of more broadly so we always ask people like who who's the intended audience or what do you hope that readers will get out of your books um so i'm curious with respect to your book you know is there an audience in mind do you have i mean you've already touched on it a little bit but like do you have 
main takeaways that you want people to to get while they're reading your books? Um, so as to intended audience, um, when I was writing it, I was thinking like 23 to 40 year old women. Um, I'm finding that a much older crowd is enjoying it as well, as well as men. I have a lot of male beta readers who are enjoying it much more than I thought they would. Um, so I think it has quite a wide appeal to it, which, which I'm very happy with. Um, I, I want everyone to enjoy my books. I see Maggie's story, um, as a, um, a journey of someone pursuing their dreams. And I think I would like people to see that and relate to that journey. And I think there are milestones that she takes that people will identify with. Um, but also again, it touches on notes of grief. I think people who have lost someone significant will get something out of these books. Or at least that's my hope. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a wonderful hope. What do you find like the easiest or your favorite part of the writing process to be? Or conversely, like what is your least favorite part that you always avoid? And how oh do you get my. through that? <laughs> um, well, I will say that as I've, I've been writing for a very, very, very long time now, um, and something I'm just starting to realize now that I'm polishing work um, to actually, you know, produce and hand to other people um, is that once you've finished your first draft, if you are eyeing production, you are probably about 10% of the way there, which is daunting. Um, and that's something I've just been embracing recently. Um, there, There's give and take with everything. When you're staring at a blank page, it is hard. You know, some people equate it to, you know, you just bleed onto the page. And I, I find that to be very apt. So that is difficult, you know, creating something out of nothing. Um, but it's also, I think, strenuous at times, refining that to perfection, you know, especially when you've read the same paragraph the same line 80 times um that's why um beta readers this is uh with this series has been the first time i have really used outside eyes before you know going into production it is absolutely invaluable i i cannot stress it enough someone with another perspective you know to come in and look at something and see something different um, because you do, at a certain point, just lose any touch of reality <laughs> when it comes to your own work. And I do believe in over-editing. I think there is a point where you're you're doing more harm than good. Um, and identifying that, I think, just takes experience. And going off of that, because obviously it's it can be really challenging to be a writer at times. And as two aspiring writers, we're really curious, what keeps you going as a writer like what drives you and and keeps bringing you back to the page so I began taking my writing seriously when I had two toddlers um in the house and so finding a time to write became very difficult um things that made it considerably easier was a purchasing my own desk um, that was a huge milestone, a place where writing happens. 
Um, and then establishing a time I started writing seriously, you know, and calling it my profession and calling myself a writer, um, with just one hour a day. That's all I would do. I would put in my headphones, my kids are watching TV in another room and I would write for an hour. And that daily practice in the same place, listening to the same lo-fi, you know, eventually it's like a muscle you're flexing, you're training your brain. When I'm in this chair, when I'm listening to this music, when I've got my candle going, it's time to focus. And it really does get easier to do. Um, As far as motivation wise, I have been writing since um, forever. And I think that if I were to stop, I would become a lunatic. I would just be a crazy woman on the streets saying, have you heard about my fairies? You know, they live in a shoebox under my bed. You know, I would just, I would be a lunatic. So instead, <laughs> I write books. That is so fair. That is me with my dragons. Um, and I love your answer about just having a desk too. Um, we actually interviewed Owen King, Stephen King's son. He was my creative writing professor, so I had an in already. But oh my. he was one of his, um, we were talking to him about being a writer and he was like sitting in a room and treating it like a job and having that kind of atmosphere. He was like, that's what gets me through it. Um, so your desk comment just really reminded me of that. Well, um, and I I have another note on that, on calling it your profession. Um a, I think you take it more seriously in your own mind and it gives you confidence to show it to other people and make steps like, you know, setting release dates, you know, and really doing things. But it also makes the people in your environment take it more seriously as well. You know, when you start saying, this is my job, I am a writer. I know from personal experience that there were people in my life who didn't take my writing seriously and saw it as, oh, a hobby that a mom does, you know, so that she isn't just staring at her toddlers all day, you know. But when I started to take myself seriously um, and they saw me making these moves, like they got on board. That's really thought provoking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend a while thinking about that response. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> I kind of want to, so we have seven minutes left on the Zoom. I basically want to just ask you about where readers can find your book and then also how to, I guess, follow you on social media if you want to share that as well. Okay. Um, well, I'm findable on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, my at is Applewhite writes. Um, and I'm also searchable under Kaylin Applewhite, which is K-A-L-Y-N-N Applewhite. Um, and, um, as far as finding the book, um, my collection of short stories based on my Dungeons and Dragons TTRPG setting (laughs) is available right now on Amazon. It's Chronicles of Aragarth. Um, and then, the first book of the White Crow series, Awakening Anne, will be available on Kickstarter um, on April 4th. Um, so we're getting very close to that now. <laughs> um, and then it will be coming to Amazon as well uh, later this fall. It was really great to talk to you and just, you know, learn more about how your whole writing journey has been. Thank you for having me. Um I've never done a podcast before, so this has been very exciting. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you. Yeah, thank you for joining us. And we really did 
like I, I very much enjoyed the first chapter of your book. So well, thank you. I, I will be looking on Kickstarter in April to get the rest of it. <laughs> Yay. I'd really love to know who Anne is. Yeah, who is this Anne? <laughs> Wait, the main character's name is Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to our conversation with Kaylin Applewhite. Again, check out the episode description for links to her books and social media. We'll be back at the end of March with our next writer's workshop featuring Caitlin. Until then, don't let the day drag on. You see, because it's dragon. Drag on. Ha 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 ha. I very much relate to the like, you won't make time for it unless you make time for it kind of thing.